Do you feel that? Do you sense it? Do you feel that sense of accomplishment? Do you feel that that sense of progress? Because we have made it to day six in our journey through 30 scriptures in 30 days. We've made it to day six. That That's progress, right? That's accomplishment. I mean, do, I, I don't, do you feel any sense of accomplishment? Do you? No, you don't? Okay. I I feel like we've accomplished at least something because I didn't think we would make it to day six and be even remotely successful, but I think we've done a a pretty decent job so far in day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. I don't know which day you may have thought was the best or which one was the worst, but there's a very good chance that this one, day six, is going to be the worst. I, 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 I'm, I'm a little concerned about day six. I really am. Just looking, yeah, it's all going to make sense. Now, if you're brand new and you have no clue what's going on, you're like, what in the world was that minute and 35 second musical intro? Well, that was a little over the top on purpose because what we're trying to do is we're trying to make the most out of a book written by Charles Stanley many years ago called 30 Life Principles. It went on to become not only uh, see, a book, a study guide, it became a Bible, the Life Principles Bible, for crying out loud. This became a, a big thing, the 30 Life Principles. If you get a catalog from, say, Christian book distributors and other things, you'll see all of the 30 Life Principles merchandise that you can purchase right now. It's it's still there. And, and of course, it's been used by who knows how many individuals, how many churches, how many small groups. And I came in contact with it many years ago, bought the book, bought the study guide, and was like, oh, this is going to be fun. 30 Life Principles by someone who's been preaching for 50 plus years, even though I don't agree with all of his theology. I want to see these life principles because maybe I can learn from them. Maybe I can, maybe they could be very you know, helpful to me. Maybe I could do something with them in, in my own preaching and teaching. This could be, this could be a fun thing. And I got the 30 life principles. I grabbed a notebook and I started working on them. And I was like, I am so confused because in the book, 30 life principles, you get Charles Stanley gives us the principle and then he gives us the scripture from which the principle supposedly comes from. And in my mind, every single time I'm like, it doesn't make any sense. It just it. I don't see how that principle came from that particular scripture. It just seems so confusing. And so, at, at, over time, it became more and more apparent to me what I think happened. I cannot be dogmatic, but this is what it feels like. This is what it looks like. He came up with the principle and then just went and looked and found any scripture that he thought supports it or at least was somewhat related to it. And that's not the way I hope you don't derive your life principles from coming up with your principle and then taking them to the Bible and forcing it upon the Bible. No, study the Bible from the study of the text. That's where life principles should then ultimately arise from and go, this is a principle I live by because I found this in studying this particular scripture. That's how it should work, but that's not the case. So we did kind of a mini series where I started looking at the 30 life principles and I really wasn't happy with another, basically it was another attempt to do something with these books and it failed. It failed miserably. So I'm the, I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll take the scriptures that he offers in the book, 30 Life Principles. I'll take each scripture that he uses for his 30 principles, 
and then we'll just look at each scripture and we'll do so, we'll do it in 30 days. I'll make it way over the top, you know, exaggerated, a little hyperbole. Ooh, this is going to be life-changing because that's the way everything works. And, and but but ultimately, we'll have a little fun because I'm going to try to do this in real time. I'm just going to open up the 30 life principle book, just look at it and then in real time try to determine what principle I think is found in the scripture, or I may have to say, I don't think there's a principle here at all. And then I'll remind you of the principle that obviously Charles Stanley gave. It's it's being done in real time. I'm not doing any prep in advance. So it gives us that sense like, you know, I'm on a tightrope and one step, it turns into an epic failure. But no matter how epically I may fail, we've got epic intro music. See, see, it's, it's yeah, yeah. there's all reason for all of this. So hopefully this will be fine. Now, the, the one of the things I'm also trying to do, I'm trying to get you involved, right? Because as we look at the scripture, I'm coming up with the principle in real time. I'm coming up with the principle in real time, but I want you to be coming up with what? Oh no, I, I think this is the principle. And then hopefully someone is keeping track of all of the principles I'm coming up with because so far, see, we're on day six. How many principles do we have right now? Let me look, open up the, the official notebook here. We currently have... 11 principles that we have taken from five scriptures, 11 principles we've taken from five scriptures. And today is day six. I don't know. I don't know how many principles we're going to take from this, but feel free to keep track of all of them, write them down. And uh, you can, you can even uh, maybe clean them up a little bit. So they're worded a little better. Cause remember I'm doing it in real time. I like it right now. I don't have any principles for today because I haven't read the scripture for today. We're doing this in real time to just add a little bit more fun to it. But are you ready? Day six has arrived. Are you ready? I'm not ready. I'm, I'm, I'm not ready, but here we go. Let's open up the live principles book. I'm doing so on my Kindle, on my iPad. All right, here we go. Life principle number six. This is the actual principle as given by Charles Stanley in his book, 30 Life Principles. Here is the principle. You reap what you sow more than you sow and later than you sow. You reap what you sow more than you sow and later than you sow. Let me read that one more time. You reap what you sow more than you sow and later than you sow. Now, immediately when I would, would see the principle, I would think, okay, there's some there's a verse in the Bible that talks about you reap what you sow. Okay, but it says that you reap what you sow. This says you reap what you sow, but you also reap what more than what you sow and later than you sow. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That wait, the Bible says you reap what you sow. This says I'm going to reap more than what I I'm going to reap more than what I sow. And I'm going to reap later than I sow. You reap what you sow is the seems to be the Bible. Stanley says, no, it's yes, it's reap what you sow, but it's also reaping more than what you sow later than you sow. And it's like, okay, how how is he going? How is he going to demonstrate this? How is he going to prove this? How where where did this principle arise from? Well, according to the book, this principle is found in the book of Judges. Now, so far, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, he gave us one verse, all right? This one, we have four verses, okay? And I'm a, I, I don't know. It's the book of Judges. And I'm like, the book of Judges? 
So I'm just start thinking about the book of Judges. And I'm like, do, 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 does the book of Judges, just in general, like if we were to do an overview of the book of Judges, would it teach us, would it demonstrate the principle that you reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow? Would it demonstrate that principle? It sounds good. That sounds like something you could read. You ladies and gentlemen, you reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. And everybody's like, ooh, that's such a deep principle. Okay, but... Where, where do you derive it from Scripture? Do the, would the book of Judges teach that? Or would the book of Judges simply teach you reap what you sow? What, 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 do you, what do you think? I almost want to just leave it right there and say, that concludes our look today. No, but we got to look at the Scripture. All right, here we go. Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. We start in verse 1. Judges chapter 2, verse 1. And an angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. All right, so the angel of the Lord come up from Gilgad to Bochim and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt and have brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers, and said, I will never break my covenant with you. Verse 2, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? Wherefore, I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their God shall be a snare unto you. And it came to pass, when the angel of the Lord spake these words unto all the children of Israel, the people lifted up their voice and wept. And I'm going to just read the next verse. And they called the name of that place, Bochim, and they sacrificed there unto the Lord. Okay, uh, that's the text. Now, remember, I told you there is going to be great potential for these episodes to turn into a, a, an epic failure because what do I do with this? What, like, I've got to do this in real time, remember? Okay, I've got to do this in real time because I wanted to add that kind of suspense and that kind of just making it more dramatic because I want to get something out of these books. I paid money for these books. I want to get something from them. But what in the world? Okay, the principle is you reap what you sow more than you sow later than you sow. I, I don't even know how to take Judges 2, 1 through 4 and derive that principle from that. I don't even know. Okay, so what I'm going to do is I'm just going to set aside that principle for now. Maybe we'll circle back around to it, but I'm just going to set that aside. And we've got four verses to look at, and we've got to figure out what we do with this. So we're just going to work through this and break it down. I don't even know if we're going to be able to come up with a principle from this, but we're going to see here, okay? Now, um, I'm going to read that same passage from a different translation and just see what we have here. So we're just going to try to break it down little by little. I'm not going to try to outline it in real time, but um, yeah, we're we're, going to put verses one through five together because most Bibles break that down into like its own section with its own kind of like heading. Um, I've got like one Bible here, calls verses one through five, Israel rebuked by an angel. All right. Over here, I have pattern of sin and judgment. So is the pattern of sin and judgment established here in two, one through five? Maybe. Um, 
I definitely can see where it, why this one Bible calls it angel rebuked or Israel rebuked by an angel. I can definitely see that. But what are we going to do with this? Let's take a look. So let's start with verse one. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal, Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of, the, of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. Right? I'm going to say the first thing we have here in verse one, you can tell me whether you agree. I'm going to grab a notebook here. I'm going to grab a notebook. I'm going to, I thought we were just going to open this up and be able to just, hey, let's, let's, let's come up with a principle that we're not going to be able to do this. We're going to have to break this down. I think in verse one, now, if I had a group of people in front of me, I would ask everyone, what do we have in verse one? What do we have? I know my one Bible here focuses on Israel rebuked by an angel, all right? But I think in verse one, do we have a rebuke? In verse 1, what do we have in verse 1? Let's read it again. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal, Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of, the, out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. So that's, that doesn't sound like a rebuke. That doesn't sound like a rebuke. So what do we have? What do we have? I say what we have here is a reminder of God's faithfulness, his faithful work, and his faithful promise. God has been faithful. He brought them out of the land of Egypt and led them uh, and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. He delivered them, he led them, and he brought them to the land he had promised. So he delivered, he led, and he kept his promise. I think you could say it that way. He was faithful in delivering, faithful in leading, and faithful in keeping his promise. This is the, he reminds them of God's faithfulness. He goes on to remind them, and I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. It seems to be, he reminds them, he reminds them of God's past faithfulness in delivering, leading, and fulfilling the promise. He also seems to remind them of God's current promise, God's current faithfulness. Hey, I'm never going to break my covenant with you. I'm never going to break my covenant with you. So we ever, I think in a sense, I think we're going to call this, I may change my mind. Remember, I'm doing this in real time. Uh, I'm, I, I'm going to say this is a reminder of God's faithfulness. I'm going to say that what we have in Judges 2.1, I'm literally writing this down, Judges 2.1, a reminder of God's faithfulness. And I think you can break that down. I think you can break that down. Now, if, if you wanted, you could kind of give some sub points here if you wanted to, but he, he reminds them of God's faithfulness in delivering, leading, fulfilling the promise. And he reminds them of God's faithfulness in the current or the future promise or the current promise. I don't know how you want to do that when you could break it down, but it's a, it's a reminder of God's faithfulness in the past and God's present faithfulness because he, and, and his future, he's never going to break the covenant with them. He's never going to break the covenant. God's not going to break his covenant with you. Now this brings us to verse two. What do we have in verse two? Judges two, two. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me 
What is this you have done? I'm going to read this from another translation from the King James. And ye shall make, uh, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have you done this? It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. And I'm going to say verse two. It's a reminder of God's faithfulness. I'm going to put number two, a reminder of their unfaithfulness. What, what do you think? You, do you like that? Do you like that? Okay. Okay. I, I, I think I heard everyone go, ooh, I like that. Okay. Do you? Are you sure? I'm never, I'm never, I'm writing this down in my notebook, but because I'm writing really quick and the notebook's over to the side, I'm never going to remember what I just wrote down because it's all messy and I won't be able to read it. So hopefully someone else is writing it down so that you can send it to me so that I can know what we did. Okay. All right. So we have a reminder of God's faithfulness, right? He, he delivered, he led, he fulfilled the promise and he's never going to break his covenant. But then the angel's like, Hey, but uh, so God has been faithful, but you guys, you guys, no, 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 you guys, you are not, you are, you are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? What have you done? Right. In fact, the uh, King James says it this way. Why have you done this? Why have you been unfaithful? Why have you been unfaithful? Now, is there a principle here? Is there a principle here? I, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to possibly write one down here. Right? Do, do you see a principle here? I, I think that we see a principle. I think we see a principle here. I'm going to put this down. This will be number number 12. And all of our principles, but if you haven't been with us, you can just write this down as number one. I'm going to write this down as a principle. We must see. Uh, hang on. How how can we see see this? We must. Uh, how do I want to put this down? Okay, because they, they're not, they're unfaithful. They're unfaithful. But there's a contrast here between God's faithfulness and their unfaithfulness, right? So I, I think we must, um, we must see, we must see our lives in contrast to God's faithfulness, all right? Or we must see our, I don't want to see, do we say our faithfulness? Do we say we must see our, we, what I'm trying to do here is I think there's a contrast here that's, that's an important principle that must, must be derived from this. So I, I, may have to, I may have to flesh this out. Right now I'll put our lives. I, but I think we, have, we must compare our so-called faithfulness to God's faithfulness. Because when we, see our, when we see our faithfulness in light of God's faithfulness, then we truly see how unfaithful we have become. Is, is that a better way of putting it? Okay, I'm, I, th I think we may do that. I'm going to erase this one. 
All right. I think that's a better way of, of, of writing it. I think that's a better way. All right. Let me erase this. All right. I'm erasing it. See, that's why you write in pencil, right? Remember, I always say the reason you use pencil is because we are not infallible. So writing, using a pencil in your Bible study is a constant reminder of your, uh, you, we're not infallible. This reminds us of our fallibility is writing in a pencil. But I think this, we must, I think when, I'm going to put when, when we look at our faithfulness, our faithfulness and light of God's faithfulness, our unfaithfulness, if I can write, is revealed. That's what I'm going to go with. When we look at our faithfulness in light of God's faithfulness, our unfaithfulness is revealed. No matter how faithful you think you may be, no matter how faithful you think you are to God, no matter how much you think you love God, when you truly take your faithfulness and you see it in light of God's faithfulness, boom, your unfaithfulness is immediately revealed. Your faithfulness just completely evaporates into unfaithfulness when compared to God's faithfulness. When you see how God faithful has been in saving you, delivering you, electing, calling, sending his son, preserving, giving you life, grace, mercy, forgiving for all, all of your unrighteousness, the, the faithfulness in giving you the imputed righteousness of Christ. Oh, when you are overwhelmed with the faithfulness of God, your, what your perceived faithfulness will evaporate and you will be like, woe is me, I am an unfaithful person who does not deserve the faithfulness of God. When Israel could look at themselves and think that they've been faithful, but when you are reminded, hey, no, God, remember God's faithfulness? He delivered you from bondage. Remember his faithfulness? He led you. Remember his faithfulness? He kept his promise and brought you into the land. Remember his faithfulness and he made a promise he will never break his covenant and he will never break his covenant. However, now, now, and you're like, okay, praise God. God is faithful. Now take a minute and look at your faithfulness. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Our faithfulness. Well, what, what have we done? Well, they're clearly reminded. You shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you've not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? You may think you're faithful, but the minute you compare it to God's faithfulness, God kept he did. He was faithful in everything. Now look at you. You're not faithful. You've fallen short in every single way. When I'm going to, I'm going to give you that principle again, because I think, I think it's important. I think it's an important principle, right? If you go back to my notebook. When we look at our faithfulness and light of God's faithfulness, our unfaithfulness is revealed. You can think you're faithful. 
You can think you're, you, you, you can think so much about yourself until it's compared to the right standard. See, you, what we do is we tend to compare our faithfulness to other people's faithfulness, and then we see their unfaithfulness and we magnify our own faithfulness. So when I compare my faithfulness to others, I can be like, well, I read the Bible more. I listen to sermons more. I don't miss church. I, I can, I can find lots of ways to go see I'm more faithful than them. But when I stop looking at everyone else, comparing my faithfulness to everyone else's faithfulness, and I see my faithfulness in the light of God's faithfulness, then my unfaithfulness becomes immediately apparent. I think that that contrast there, I think it's powerful. All right. Now, I still don't know where you you reap what you sow. And I still don't know where Charles Stanley's principle comes from, but we're going to set that aside. I think that contrast there in verse one and two is powerful. Here's God's faithfulness and here's you. And guess what happens? God is faithful and you're not. But, and I bet you in Israel's mind, they would have felt that they were faithful. That happens over and over in the Bible where the Pharisees would have thought that they were faithful. I mean, over and over and over. I think it's a, it's a common problem in the heart of man as we self, we're self-deceived because the heart is deceitful above all things. And we deceive ourselves and thinking that we're more, faith, more faithful than we are. But this comes to verse three. Right, so we got, we've we've kind of got an outline here. We kind of we have an outline, a reminder of God's faithfulness, reminder of their unfaithfulness. Right, then verse three. Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their and their God shall be a snare unto you. Now. I'm going to read it from a different translation. Therefore, now, the, the King James, it's written, this is interesting the way it's written. Uh, the King James says, wherefore, I also said, as like past tense, like, okay, I also said this. And it's it, it, like, so wait a minute, is this a part of the promise or is this the result of their unfaithfulness? Because you were not faithful, I said, these are going to be the consequences. The Another translation, they, they've kind of placed this more in a present situation, all right? Here's the past faithfulness. Here's, here's a reminder of your unfaithfulness. Now, here's what's going to happen. Therefore, that's the way this translation has it. Therefore, based on your unfaithfulness, I now, I now say, so I'm going to say this to you now, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. Because you have not driven these people out. You've not torn down the, their altars. You've, in a sense, you've made a league with them. All right? Um, and if you go down to, if you go down to uh, verse 28 of or Judges 1, verse 28, Judges 1, verse 28, and it came to pass when the Israelites was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Say they did not drive them out in verse 28. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites. And you just note verse 28, 29, neither did Ephraim, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akcho. You can just go through here and see they did not, they did not, they did, they didn't drive them out. They didn't do what God called them to do. God had been faithful. 
And he said, I'm going to bring you here. Now, when you go in, this is what, don't make a league, tear down their altars. In fact, go back to verse two of Judges two. You're not to make a covenant. You are to tear down their altars, but you've not obeyed me. They, They didn't do what they were supposed to do. They left them there. So then God's like, okay, then you didn't do what I asked you to do. Guess what? I'm not going to drive them out. I'm going to leave them here. In other words, I'm not going to drive them out. I'm not going, I'm not going. In other words, God was going to be with them to assist them and to ensure that they would have victory. But they did not, they did not follow, they they did not do what God asked them to do. So then God's like, okay, I'm not going to drive them out. And guess what's going to happen? Uh, I, uh, verse three, therefore I now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. They will be a trap for you. The King James puts it this way. They're going to be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare unto you. Now, this one, this, you could look at this from a, this one, this verse is very, and in some ways it's kind of frustrating. Like, well, wait a minute, Lord. Yes, they've messed up, but go ahead and drive out these people because if you drive out these people, it'll be better for Israel, right? Then these, 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 this, these nations, their gods won't be a, a thorn. It won't be a snare. In other words, you will be, you'll be helping them be obedient. Like they, they're disobedient and the past, their disobedience in the past could be turned into obedience in the future by you simply driving these people out, then Israel would not have this spiritual snare waiting for them. But God's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. In other words, the, what they're, in a sense, I'm going to use the language Charles Stanley used, they're going to reap what they sow in this way. They, they, they basically pl- they planted disobedience and they're going to reap uh, spiritual trap, spiritual snare. It, it, it's kind of really weird. You think God would want to remove the spiritual snare. He would want to remove the trap, but he doesn't. He just warns them, hey, th- this is what's getting ready to happen to you. Hey, I'm not going to drive them out um, before you, but they shall be as thorns in your side and their God shall be a snare unto you. Hey, you, you did not obey. You were unfaithful. Now, this is going to be the consequences. This is going to be, now you can put it in terms, you reap what you sow. You could go with that, that context. I'm going to look at it in a little bit different way. All right. I'm going to put this down as a principle. I'm going to put this down as a principle. All right. I'm going to go, I'm going to go see, we're going to put this down. Let's be number 13 if we're counting in order or number two for today. I'm going to put this um, because we're using the word faithfulness because I think faithfulness and unfaithfulness is seen in verse one and two. So I'm going to say verse uh, verse three. The results of our unfaithfulness is, I'm going to put thorn, is spiritual Thorns and snares. When we are unfaithful to God, when we're unfaithful, it it literally produces and creates spiritual thorns 
and snares, thorns that we're going to be poked by, hurt by. It's going to be, and, and things, it's going to trap us. It's going to create spiritual traps. The more unfaithful we are, the more, the more spiritual thorns and snares that are produced. Now, in other words, spiritual thorns and snares are the results of our unfaithfulness. We're unfaithful, which then creates more thorns and snares that literally leads to more unfaithfulness. Israel's problem, when you go through the rest of this, the, the rest of Judges, these nations are going to constantly be a problem and their gods are going to be constantly be a problem. Israel's going to constantly find themselves snared by these other gods. They're going to turn to them. They're going to look to them. Idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. And it all started because of their initial unfaithfulness. Their unfaithfulness leads to thor- the nations are going to be thorns and the, uh, the gods are going to become snares, and they're going. And throughout the rest of Israel's history, they're going to have problems with nations that should have been destroyed, and gods where the altars, sh- th- those gods should not even exist. They should be destroyed. But they're going to constantly be a problem. Our, our unfaithfulness creates the very things that create, uh, put, uh, puts us in a situation where from the, we, like, we're unfaithful, and then in many cases, maybe the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, we're dealing with the spiritual snares and the spiritual thorns that were a result of our unfaithfulness. Just think about from Judges on, right? Or you can, you can go from Joshua, we'll just go from Judges to the rest of the Old Testament. How frequently does Israel find itself dealing with nations that possibly should have been destroyed and dealing with false gods that they, the idols, the, the altar should have already been torn down. There shouldn't even be anything left of those false gods. Now, what we have a tendency to do, I think this is what we have a tendency to do. What we have a tendency to do is these issues are the result of our unfaithfulness, but we don't acknowledge our unfaithfulness in the, in the spiritual thorn and snare. We put the blame on the thorn and the snare. We're like, well, that thorn and snare took me down, but that thorn and snare is there because of your own unfaithfulness that created the situation. How many spiritual thorns and snares in your life are there as a result of your own unfaithfulness? They should be a reminder. Spiritual thorns and snares should be a reminder of your unfaithfulness, which is probably the very thing that was involved in this becoming a a thorn and a snare. All right, then verse 4. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all of Israel, the people wept loudly. So they named the place Bochim and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Now, Bochim, I see, let me look at something. I'm going to look this up. Uh, let me, I'm going to go to the Blue Letter Bible app and I'm going to go to verse 5. The interlinear. I'm gonna, I don't know if it's going to help here. Bokim, and to see here, means weeping. All right, it means weeping. All right, it means weeping. Uh, the weepers. Bokim, uh, a place in Palestine, um, a place near Gilgal or Bethel where the sons of Israel wept. The sons of Israel wept. Um. I, 
I, I don't I don't know what to do with that one because because on one hand you you want to say hey well I, put it this way I will ask you how do you how do you view their weeping here do you be, do you believe their weeping here is genuine repentance or un or not or ungenuine or not or not genuine repentance they weep now it doesn't say anything here it says they weeped and they offered sacrifices they wept and offered sacrifices. Now, I'm not saying that the weeping and offering sacrifice, I'm not saying it's not a good thing. I'm not saying it's not a good thing. But do you think it was, was it simply we're weeping because, oh man, we're, we did, is it, I'm weeping and sacrificing because we displeased, we, we disobeyed God and we've displeased God, or I'm weeping because now I'm going to have to deal with these consequences. Sometimes we weep over the consequences. Sometimes we weep over the sin. Right? Sometimes we weep over the consequences of sin, and sometimes we weep over the sin itself. Now, listen, I don't want to make, listen, if weeping over the consequences of sin ultimately helps you spiritually and leads to you moving forward and doing the right thing, that's perfectly okay. Right? It's one thing I could sound all super spiritual. Well, you know what? If you're just weeping over the consequences of your sin, that doesn't count. It's not genuine. No, if weeping over the consequences of your sin, lead you to true repentance and truly trying to do what's right from moving forward, then then that's a good thing. It, whatever breaks us, whatever whatever breaks us, humbles us, humiliates us, and brings us to our face before God, that's a positive thing. Now, some people say, well, no, the only reason you're weeping is you got caught. Well, if we if getting caught brings about godly repentance, then by all means, don't don't minimize that. Celebrate that fact. Okay. So I, I don't know. I don't know how to. I don't know what to. I, on one hand, I want to be skeptical here. I want to be cynical and go, "Well, they're weeping, but was it? Did they? Did they really repent? Because we know how the rest of the book of Judges is going to go. Like we kind of know how the story is going to end. Everyone's going to do what is right in in, in their own eyes." because there's no king in the land. And we are going to see a, a cycle of sin play out over and over and over in Judges, over and over and over in Judges. So then was their weeping genuine? So I want to call it into question. I feel like we need to do something with verse four, but but I, I don't, I feel like I could come up with a, I could come up with a, a principle here, but I think the principle would possibly not be derived. Like I, I would have to read into the text. I could say something like, "When we, when we are confronted with our unfaithfulness, we have to respond with more than just weeping and empty sacrifice. We must respond with godly repentance." Say, I could say that, and and everybody would be like, hey, "Amen." That's a great principle. But is it really? Is that what? Is that really being derived from the text? I want to read that into the text. Hey, their weeping here was was fraudulent. It was gar. This was not true repentance. They were putting on a show. See, I, I want to read that into the text. Is the text really demonstrating that? Is it really demonstrating that? What would, do, you, do you see it as genuine or do you see it as not? I, I'm going to do something really quick. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab some commentaries here and just see. I'm just going to see how others approach this. Do others approach this with the same level of skepticism I'm approaching it with? Let's see here. Judges 2. Okay, it looks like they're going to skip it. You see here. Um, yeah, see? Okay, th- th- okay, this is how others re- read this. All right. Um, 
No wonder the people wept when they heard the message. The Hebrew word bokim means weepers. However, their sorrow was because of the consequences of their sins and not because of the wickedness of their sins had convicted them. It was a shallow and temporary sorrow that never led them to true repentance. It never led them to true repentance. I think, I, think, I think the rest of judges would possibly prove that. Hey, they wept, they offer sacrifices, but, but it wasn't true repentance. They point to, uh, in this commentary, they point to 2 Corinthians. Let's look at it really quick. They go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And they say, start in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 8. For even if I grieved you with my letter, I don't regret it. And if I regretted it, since I saw that the letter grieved you yet only for a little while, I now rejoice not because you were grieved, but because your grief led to repentance. For you were grieved as God willed so that you didn't experience any loss from us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly grief produces death. For consider how much diligence this very thing, this grieving as God's will has produced in you, what a desire to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what deep longing, what zeal, what justice, in every way you showed yourselves to be pure in this matter. Now that's Paul dealing with the Corinthians, but that there's a there's a, a there's a true sorrow that can lead to, as they say, godly. Grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation, where worldly grief simply produces death. So I'm going to give us a principle here. I'm going to give us a principle. And I don't want to read too much into the verse. Now, it seems like all the commentaries agree that their repentance is not genuine, that they weep, and they're weeping, as as this says, because of the consequences of their sin and not because of the wickedness of their sins. But I want to make it very clear. Weeping over the consequences of your sin, I don't think that, I don't think that, I don't think you can immediately discount that that won't lead to godly repentance. Sometimes the consequences of your sin are so great that you're broken and it does lead to godly repentance. I don't, I don't, think, I don't think it's fair to say, well, you're only weeping because you got caught. If the getting caught leads to godly repentance, then okay. I don't think there's a, there's a formula that says, okay, this person is weeping. Ah, I don't think it's godly because they're only, they're only crying over the consequences. Only time will tell if repentance is genuine. Right? And even that, you got to be careful. You say, well, if they're truly, if, because Christians love to say this, well, if you're truly repentant, you will never do it again. Really? Really? Have you ever repented of lying? Do you still lie? Have you ever repented of, of slothfulness or gluttony or greed or bitterness, not submitting yourself to authority? Like, like I, have you ever, oh yeah, you've repented of those things. Oh yeah, you keep doing them. So so I, I don't think it's, sometimes Christians have like, well, if you're truly sorry, you'll never do it again. It, it doesn't work that way. So see, even then, are we being, are we being fair here in Judges? You say, well, well, they, they, they keep making the same mistake. And don't you keep making the same mistake? So has your repentance never been genuine? I, I, I get really worried. We always want to come up with a formula like, this proves genuine, repentance is genuine. This proves it isn't. 
there is, there, look, it is true that sometimes repentance is not genuine and sometimes it is. You can't determine that for other people. You, I, I don't think it, I think it, you can't. If someone repents, you have to accept it as genuine. You have to, because who, who are you to say that? You say, well, Paul, Paul's an apostle, right? Paul, Paul was able to draw that determination. It's very dangerous for you to do so. Now, if you be, if you believe someone's repentance isn't genuine, you can ask them questions. You can you can possibly maybe may, may pray that they that at some point the repentance will become genuine. You just got to be very careful. So I don't think you need to be running around trying to figure out everyone else's repentance is genuine or not. Here's what I think. Here's what I think. Number fourteen. Uh, we must, I'm going to put we must, strive to determine if our own, if our own, I'm really stressing that, our own repentance is genuine or how do we put it? I don't want to put fake or how do we put it? Um, do we put insincere? I'm just going to put the word or is genuine or fake. Now I'm not saying, listen to me. I am not saying, I am not saying that the the, the weeping and the sacrifice here by the people of Israel at Bochim, I'm not in any way calling it into question. Look, if the Bible, if God says their repentance wasn't genuine, then by all means, if you know of a cross-reference that says Israel repented at Bochim or Israel wept at Bochim, but it was not godly sorrow, godly repentance. It was, it was human repentance. It wasn't godly repentance. Whatever the case may be, then by all means, send that to me and I, we, will, we will come back and I'll do a separate episode and we'll talk about that their re- repentance was fake. The commentaries immediately says it wasn't. They immediately say it wasn't. And they probably base it off the, the rest of the book. But I, I, I'm, I'm assuming the writer of the commentary has repented of sin that they've continued to commit. Just think any, do, do you repent of sin in general? Yes. Do you continue to sin? Yes. Like, like I, I, I have a hard time with the whole, well, their repentance wasn't genuine. Their repentance wasn't genuine. Okay. okay. And, and yours always is. So, so all of the sins you've written, just think about, I don't know how long you've been a Christian. Think of all the sins you've been convicted by and you've repented of. And how many of those same sins have you have committed again, fallen into again, have still present in your life in some way, shape, or form. Was your repentance not genuine? So I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to say that it wasn't, but I think that the Bible does draw a distinction between godly sorrow and uh, as how does the one Bible places it? I see. I'm going to go back to second. I'm going to go back to Second Corinthians. I want to use the biblical terminology. Maybe I need to rewrite my my principle my uh, principle, but we'll see. Second Corinthians chapter seven. I'm going to go to the King James. Godly sorrow uh, uh, versus the sorrow of the world. There's a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, and there's a worldly sorrow. 
right? So there is a distinction between, I'm going to say, a brokenness, a, 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 grieve, a grieving over sin. There's a true one and there's a fraudulent one. There's a godly one and there's a worldly one. There's a spiritual one and there's a fleshly one. So we do need to make that distinction, but we have to do so in our own lives. But I think I want to make it very clear. I think you can have godly sorrow, godly repentance. There's no, that it's absolutely truly true repentance, and that does, that is not a guarantee. That cannot be viewed as a guarantee that you will never commit that sin again. You say, well, that's just not true. Well, then just repent of all sin and stop sinning. Like at some point in your Christian life, haven't you repented of every, or you're telling me there's gobs and gobs of unrepentant sin in your life. Like, like how do you, at some point your, your, your theology is going to fall apart just based off reality, right? No, true repentance is you stop doing it. Okay. Well then you've been a Christian for now 10 years. By now, have you not repented of pretty much every sin you can commit? So you should have stopped sinning. Well, okay. Well, you still sin. So then that means your repentance wasn't genuine. I have a hard time with that concept. We'll stop there. The, the, so the, I'm going to read all of the verses here in a minute. Let's do that. I'm going to read all the verses. I'm just going to read it from this Bible that I have here next to me. Here we go. Judges 2, verse 1. The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I had promised to your fathers. I also said, I will never break my covenant with you. You are not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of, the, of this land. You are, you are to tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore, I will now say, I will not drive out these people before you. They will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a trap for you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the Israelites, the people wept loudly. So they named the place Bochim and offered sacrifices there to the Lord. Now, you'll notice a couple of things. We worked a little bit on an outline and I stopped after two points. I did that on purpose because I want you to finish outlining the section, all right? Just to give you something to do. I mean, I don't want you to just, you know, not have anything to do on a Saturday, okay? So finish outlining it. I would love to get your thoughts on the outline. But here are the points we came up with. Or, or when I say we, currently it's just me. So here are the points I came up with. When we look at our faithfulness in light of God's faithfulness, our unfaithfulness is revealed. Next, the result of our unfaithfulness is spiritual thorns and snares. And number three, we must strive to determine if our own repentance is genuine or fake. Or we could say we must strive to determine if our own sorrow over sin is godly sorrow or worldly sorrow. That may actually work better because I think it's more of the biblical terminology, but you can draw your own conclusions. There you go. Judges chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 was the scripture provided by the book 30 Life Principles by Charles Stanley. You can, the principle he came up with to me is completely disconnected from those verses. You may be able to see it. I don't see it. I don't see it. I think the principles we came up with are being derived from those verses. If you have different principles from those verses or you disagree, let me know. Newsif at yahoo.com. 
That's newsif at yahoo.com. I think that turned out a little better than I thought. I thought it was going to be an epic failure. I don't know if it was an, I don't think it was an epic success. So maybe it was just epic, just an epic, it was just mediocre. What was, is that, can it be epic and just being mediocre? I, I don't know. I think it was there in the middle, but whether it was an epic failure, whether it was an epic success or whether it was just kind of like, mm, whatever, well, we will end with our epic concluding music. All right. Thanks for listening. Email me newsif at yahoo.com. This concludes day six and our 30 days through 30 scriptures. I hope you enjoyed it. God bless.